Welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I am Sarah Buddery. And I'm MJ Smith. And this week we're joined by a guest. Uh, Everyone, welcome to the show. Cordelia Keston. Cordelia, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. uh, Thanks for coming on. Before we get into the scene proper, um, we always have to ask what what has become known as the Jaws question here. So um, what is your history with Jaws and, and why do you love it? And if, if you don't love it, I would like that perspective on here too. Um, and uh, just kind of like, what are your first Jaws memories and like what made you fall in love with, with the film? So I feel like I have Sarah pretty much entirely to blame for the start <laughs> of my... <laughs> I'm not going to say love affair, but uh, interest and enjoyment of watching Jaws. So we uh, worked together and basically from the moment I met her, she just kept talking about Jaws. Can't relate. (laughs) Oh, I was thinking, um, when am I going to kind of admit to her that I've never seen it? Um, Because it's just, it's been one of those films and... I would describe myself as somebody who loves film, but seemingly I've also not seen almost every classic film <laughs> ever made. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, one of those films I think is in kind of, it's in the public consciousness. So I had an understanding of what I thought Jaws was. Um, but after kind of speaking to Sarah about it a lot and hearing how kind of passionate she was about it, I thought one day, I'll, I'll keep this in the old noggin and I'll watch this soon. And I think I was staying down at my partner's parents and it started raining outside and we were supposed to be going out for a nice walk. And then it turned into one of those rainy days where you just go, right, we'll put a film on. And I thought, ah, Jaws. And so my mind was just blown. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. I think I must have messaged you straight away, Sarah, going, oh my God, mm-hmm. I can see what you were talking about this whole time. <laughs> um, it's a really brilliant for me as somebody who's a bit of a scaredy cat, not a huge fan of horror, has just the right amount <clears throat> of uh, scares, has yeah. exactly the right amount of uh, 1970s fashion for me, and <laughs> just the right amount of fantastic sharks and just another great Spielberg film and since that moment I just will tell anybody who will listen to watch Jaws so I think Sarah's Mm -hmm. kind of uh, enthusiasm has caught on and it's been kind of passed down but I think prior to having watched it it, within my family there was always the story of my sister refusing to go to the loo or refusing to get in a bath for about two weeks because she'd watched it and I don't know how she watched it because I was going well she was such a young child why why mom would you have allowed her to watch this film um she says she thought she might have just been able to watch it when it was on tv one day 
and kind of accidentally watched it. Um, so spent several kind of weeks trying to coax her to go to the loo or even wash because for some <laughs> reason she thought that a shark of that size would be able to get into the bath at home or get in the shower or any mm-hmm. plug hole. So I feel like I was aware of the film through my sis- that story about my sister just being told all the time and regurgitated. <laughs> and then it just sort of dawned on me one day when I was talking to Sarah, yeah, I've not seen this and I need to get this sorted. So I've only really seen it for the last couple of years. Um, but since then, re- rewatched it today, I reckon I've seen it about six or seven times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's, it's, it's super easy to rewatch. It's, I'm going to put this out there. I think it's the most rewatchable film about mm. sharks <laughs> of well, all time. Well, we've got Noah. We've got Noah's <laughs> shark coming later this year. So, yeah, Noah's shark is is coming for the jaws crown. It really yeah. is. I, yeah. I, I personally can't wait. Um, but I can I can remember sitting and watching it with um my partner's dad, and I think there were various kind of jump scare moments that he watched out for because he laughed uh, at me when I was scared by it. I think it's a really nice thing that you kind of pass on with somebody else because they're so iconic, those moments, that it's almost, it's as enjoyable watching it, watching somebody watch it for the first time Mm -hmm. as watching it for the first time. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we went to a, a screening of it. Um, you came to that one, I think, Cordelia, because only me and you had seen it. And I think, uh, I can't remember, was it, did we all go, the the work It was crew, the work crew, we it... were out in fours. It was all sort of four okay, or five but... of us, I think. <laughs> but I, I know that our, our friend Nadja hadn't seen it. Um, so when it got to the, the, the jump scare, the Ben Gardner head in the boat, um, I just like turned and was like resting my head on <laughs> my head on my hands, just watching her, just waiting for the jump scare. Cause she had, she had never seen the film and I just wanted to enjoy that moment. And you're so right about like watching it with people for the first time. Like I had so much fun at that screening with you guys because, there were a number of us who who hadn't seen it so i got to enjoy it all over again i got to experience it like it was my first time watching it because i was watching it with people who'd never seen it before and it brings me so much joy to introduce i mean the one the one thing i will also say about that apart from how incredible it was watching nadja jump i'm gonna estimate six feet out (laughs) of the chair was Mm -hmm. seeing it on the big screen yeah which I've only seen it on the big screen the once and it is so different and 10 mm-hmm. times more terrifying when you have the sense of scale yeah. with it. Mm-hmm. Although having said that, I've, mm-hmm. it's infinitely also brilliant on TVs and laptops as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, based on what I've, I've heard from the rest of our UK based guests, um, it's, almost a miracle that you avoided the film for so long because of how often it's on television <laughs> See, this over is, there. <laughs> I think it's how often it's on television and how often people talk about mm-hmm. it and how iconic <clears throat> it is, is almost a reason why, how I managed to avoid it. And yeah. it's, <laughs> you just kind of go, oh yeah, Jaws. It, I almost assumed I'd seen it. And I definitely mm-hmm. hadn't. Because I, I, I think <laughs> I had some preconceptions about the film. I think I thought it was going to be... Um, so, sort of scarier in tone 
than it is mm. but it's a buddy movie and also a romance yeah. and also um no that's silly but but um <laughs> bromance romancing the shark <laughs> but so brilliant um i actually spoke to uh both of my parents uh about their first times watching it because and i'm sure they won't mind me saying this because neither of them are aware what podcasts are <laughs> to find this that they were they're both, never gonna hear this they're never gonna hear this and they were both 16 when the film came out mm. and um my mum actually was down in cornwall the summer after it had come out and she said it's all anybody would talk about on the beach she said everybody was terrified about getting into the water they had lifeguards there who and shark spotters because that year in 76 so the year after it came out it was on it was that incredibly hot summer and so there were shark mm. spotters and there were mako sharks that had come up on the gulf the gulf stream and so there was this real kind of um like fear down there that this film <laughs> really fed into and then I also, my mum kind of did this big sigh when she was talking about it. And I went, oh, what, what's that? Why are you getting all kind of, oh, memories, you know, cue the heart. And she said, um, oh, uh, there was Sid, the lifeguard, who was, who was at the beach. <laughs> and it was just this really mo lovely moment of kind of seeing how kind of transportative it is as a film to put people yeah. back in back in a certain time period because she said you know the the costuming is so bang on and it just really took her back to um you know going skinny dipping and being terrified <laughs> of being pulled under by a great white in cornwall wasn't gonna happen <laughs> and then i, I asked my no. <laughs> i asked my dad about it and uh, all he said man of few words was um the film was great but the shark was silly <laughs> look <laughs> oh, no. i need to have some words no, sarah i'm on t i am on your team with this i think the shark is fantastic thank you it's the 70s yeah like what do you want <laughs> <laughs> at least it's not on strings that's <laughs> yeah and it's not right? like the shark has googly eyes or something like <laughs> oh i wish he did <laughs> There's someone, someone did a gif where they, they put googly eyes on it and it's very good. It's like, it's like eating, oh. it's like eating Quint and, and they, they yes. put googly eyes on it. <laughs> I think I've seen that or it's, um, they've given the shark googly eyes and they've replaced Quint with a slice of pizza as well. Like, uh... <laughs> well, that's just me. <laughs> I am shark. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's cool though that you did that uh, uh, based on Sarah hyping something up because usually what happens I don't know if this is an American thing or if it's a me thing but usually what happens is I'll hype something up and people go okay and then because I've made such a big deal out of it they don't want anything to do with it maybe that's just my <laughs> wife who does that actually because I had to <laughs> basically force her to listen to Hamilton um and she fully admits that it's because I wouldn't shut up about it. Yeah. No, I I totally get that. And I, you never want to be the person who watches something that somebody else loves or listens to it and go, oh, yeah, no, it was okay. But, mm. but I think this and, I mean, I did it with Psycho as well. 
Mm. It's going, I watched that for the first time a couple of years ago and then would not stop talking to people about how fantastic it was. It was going, you should watch Psycho. It's incredible. And everyone going, yeah, we know. That's why, <laughs> that's why it's a classic film. But I feel like with this one, it's it's so joyous. And it was Sarah's kind mm. of absolute love of it. And now if Sarah recommends anything to me, I know it's going to be good because she's got fantastic film taste. And it's backed oh, up by the Jaws, the, the Jaws love. <laughs> I get that. That was, I mean, obviously we had a mutual love for Jaws, but it was the, it was the sorcerer thing where it was like, oh, mm. oh, this movie is stressful, but so good. <laughs> I even found, I yeah, mean, have it you, was. Have you seen Sorcerer? Cordelia, have you seen Sorcerer? No, what is Sorcerer? <sighs> oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Well, based on what you've just said, in that you trust my film opinion implicitly, um, yeah. Please, please watch *Sorcerer*. It is another excellent Roy Scheider performance. Um, he's a legit snack in it as well, so <laughs> there's that to enjoy. Um, but it's also like the one of the most stressful film experiences you can have, <clears throat> and it is brilliant. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> well, I now yeah. really I'm... look forward to it and have my Sunday plans sorted yes it is a film that and i've said this on the podcast before i watched it on a vacation day from work so it was like friday morning and it was 10 38 in the morning and i had to i was give the movie gave me two options and two options only and it was pause it and take a break for a little bit or go grab the whiskey <laughs> What did you do? Because I was, I, I paused it because oh. I didn't want to start drinking whiskey at ten thirty in the morning. Yeah, it is that kind of. I was already having a hard enough time not audibly reacting to the film while my <clears throat> wife was teaching classes in the other room. To where, if if alcohol had gotten involved, that inhibition would have gone totally. Well, I out mean, the in that case, I should ask you, what time is it okay to start drinking? I mean, like I said, if. If Kristen wasn't working in the next room teaching children music, I probably would have just grabbed a whiskey. I might wait till past 12 tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> Grab a wine. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy. It is a fun thing to be like, how far can I get in this movie before I need a drink? You, this is not necessarily selling it to me. I'm fe- it's not scary. If it that's also not. sounds it's not maybe scary. I should wait to sort of it's another Saturday night or a Friday night because this isn't giving me kind of Sunday afternoon on the sofa mm. vibe. It's not. It? Uh, it's not a movie that'll help you unwind at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is. Oh, I'm so excited. Honestly, when I hear how like someone hasn't seen Sorcerer, um, I will. Well, in the case of MJ, just badger him on every single episode publicly on a podcast until he watched it. It's true. That's um, how. I, that's why I ended up watching. <laughs> or just te- just just tell people how great it is, and just be like, "Look, this film will change you as a person in a good or bad way. Wait to find out. Um, but you will have a great time watching it." <laughs> oh, you've given me the hard sell. I'm there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I had a friend. Our next series is going to be a sorcerer minute, right? Yeah, pretty <laughs> soon. I had a friend who watched it back to back with Duel. Oh boy, that's a stressful afternoon. Yeah, I was like, how do you not end up in the hospital with high blood pressure? Like, what are you talking about? Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, anyway, that the Watch Sorcerer <laughs> is. I'm I'm getting one of my plugs yes. out of the way early, which is Watch Sorcerer. Um, and have a drink ready. Non-alcoholic yes, beverages also available. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> if you do not partake, have something that'll maybe some. Honestly, maybe some some chamomile tea. Uh, to to help uh, just relax your muscles after <laughs> would help as well. I mean, I'm just gonna um, be. I I would be intrigued to see Roy Scheider in anything else because I feel like this is such yeah. an iconic, mm. iconic thing. Yeah, I mm-hmm. can't picture him in anything else. Yeah, have you get... not seen uh, French Connection? No. See, oh, okay. terrible. See what oh, I mean? So Say good. I love Phil. Those, <laughs> not seen yeah, anything. those are like the two big Roy Scheider roles. Uh, for something mm-hmm. completely different with him in it, and this is one I badgered Sarah about watching is all that jazz. It's a musical where he plays he plays Bob Fosse in it. Oh, I've seen a bit of that. Mm. He's really <laughs> good in it. He's really good in it. Sarah, mm-hmm. have you seen that yet? I sure have. <laughs> Look, I feel like when it's socially acceptable for us to all uh, be back in a room together without fear of <laughs> contracting a deadly disease, we should just have a <laughs> you've you've recommended me these films night. Yes, Shider Fest. Let's do it. Shider Fest. <laughs> Shider Fest 2022, baby. <laughs> yes. Just do it with all three mains. Just do like take a long weekend and do Shider Fest one night, Dreyfus Fest one night, and mm-hmm. Shaw Fest one night. Yes, three day event. Yeah, like it'll be like Coachella. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> LJ Fan Fest. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, so let's actually talk about Dross. Yes, uh, that's what we're here to talk about. The timestamp for this scene is one hour and 10 minutes and 38 seconds through one hour and 12 minutes and 36 seconds. And that's, it's just shy, just over two minutes, just shy of two minutes, just shy of two minutes. I can math. Um, <laughs> and a lot happens in this two minutes. Um, it starts with Ellen and, and, and Martin Brody walking to the Orca and, um, kind of standing off screen and saying their goodbyes. And Ellen's listing off all the stuff um that she's put in his bag and making sure he's taken his dramamine and and all this uh while also looking horrified at the docks and the the state of the docks that that they're at um and then while they arrive at the orca quint is just on a tirade uh that is the only way to describe it he is just he is swearing and dirty limericking and saying extremely stereotypical salty sea captain phrases and yelling at his crew and yelling at Hooper and yelling at Hooper's crew and just being about as offensive as possible, particularly uh, it almost feels like because Ellen is there that he has ramped Mm -hmm. this up. Um, And he's just, he's just, he's, he's going after it. He's, he's taking some big swings. Um, and Ellen and, and Martin take a moment and and embrace and say goodbye. And uh, Brody boards the Orca, which is obviously a big deal for him um, because he needed to be two bottles of wine drunk uh, to get on uh, on Hooper's boat earlier in the film. So then after he boards the Orca, they depart and um, Brody looks longingly back at the land and we get an excellent shot of... Uh, some of the fossilized or or boiled 
um, shark jawbones in in Quint's uh, cabin, and the the camera shoots the orca leaving through that, and Quint is still basically Jack Sparrowing his way through uh, through the docks, <laughs> and um, that's kind of it. We get the the first kind of high seas adventure musical cue in it, um, and yeah, it's it's it's. Set and set and sail off to adventure, um, which means the rest of the show is going to be pretty waterlogged. Uh, <laughs> um, but Cordelia, what did you see or, or notice in this scene um, watching it in, in this sort of isolated way that really stuck out to you? Um, the thing that stuck out to me most, and I have to say that this even struck me the first time watching it, is how I would put... Uh, Ellen Brody up there with my film fashion icons alongside the <laughs> likes of Audrey Hepburn and Marilyn Monroe in as an iconic an outfit. You can't tell me that a woman who turns up to the docks in the morning wearing a blue bandana in her hair, hoop earrings, a full face of makeup, a turtleneck, and the most cinched in pair of flares you've ever seen is not the most desirable fashionable woman you've ever seen. I was so <laughs> struck by it the first time that I saw it that I thought it's time to buy a bandana and put it in my hair. And sadly, I did do that. And due to my facial features, which your listeners won't be able to uh, see right now, sadly, I just looked like a peasant who had been toiling in the fields wearing my bandana <laughs> as opposed to this beautiful vision um on the screen it's just so <laughs> i just adore it sarah i feel you can attest to that <laughs> mm -hmm. about how much i love this outfit yeah i think um that you when wanting to like pick which bit to, <laughs> to come on for this was the reason why you chose um this bit of the film which is incredibly funny to me because um we have maybe one of the most well-known shots in Jaws, <laughs> yeah. one of the best shots in Jaws, which is the, the orca shot through like the jaws of, of the shark. And we'll we'll get to the analysis on that. But when you said that you wanted to come on to talk about Ellen's fantastic outfit choice in this scene, I was like, you know what? This is the perspective we need on this podcast. Well, I, I do. It feels like the orca shot was an added bonus to being able to talk about this. <laughs> <clears throat> and I really think it's very, it's it's such an interesting microcosm of 70s fashion, what she's wearing mm -hmm. in this scene and through the whole film, really, because when we when we tend to think about fashion of an era, quite often when you go, if you thought about what somebody from the 1960s looked like and you conjured up that image, that's normally somebody from the mid 60s to the late 60s. You never really think about the early parts of the decade because mm. that will still have the kind of follow through from what the normal way of dressing was then. So it's amazing that this lands in like 1975 and there she is with her flares on, kind of the little peasant <laughs> touches with the bandana and she just looks incredible. And mm -hmm. she's so she's such a foil against what e almost everyone else is wearing around her. I do think that uh, Hooper's uh, buddies are also very well dressed. 
<laughs> but nobody does it quite like Ellen. And then I was mm. I was thinking as I was watching her throughout the rest of the film, and she's so well put together. And I kind of put that down to two things. And the first is I was thinking, well, actually, yeah, they're not, they're out of towners. You know, there's not this kind of, she has a level of sexiness and um, a bit of oomph in the way that she dresses coming from the city and not being an islander. And then the other mm-hmm. thing that I was thinking of was that she's actually, alongside Brody, is a public figure, almost. Mm-hmm. Everyone on this tiny little island, when they see her, would know that's the police chief's wife. And so if I was her, I would be thinking, you know, there is this level of kind of sheen to her that she has to keep up. And I just um, I just love that she's down at the docks and she has a full face of makeup on and everything is coordinated and put together. And I'm not even saying she's a woman after my own heart because... I don't even bother wearing matching socks half the time. But I just think she's such a stunning sort of uh, contrast to the scenery that she's in, which is revolting. I mean, there's that lovely shot of her walking in, avoiding trying to get blood on her shoes. as She enters the cabin. It's just horrible. It's just she looks so out of place. But Mm. that's the best thing about her. (laughs) she does some great physical acting in this scene and we've praised Lorraine Gary a lot uh in previous episodes and this is our last Ellen bit as well as as this being our last bit on land this is the last time we see Ellen so yeah we've we've got to we've got to shout her out and and make a fuss of her in this scene uh because it is it is the last time and that that shot of them kind of walking through the cabin she looks so out of her comfort zone Mm. uh just completely not happy with her surroundings she looks incredibly worried but it's not that sort of like over the top uh acting that you might sort of expect to see in in a moment like this where it is her you know waving off her husband essentially to who knows what like she doesn't know if if he's coming back and I don't think I'd really appreciated the emotion of this scene before. And whilst we're talking about her, I mean, that lovely final interaction they they have um, when she, you know, she's gone over the checklist and, and everything. But uh, there's a great callback to what well, something we spoke about right at the start as well, when Brody is saying to her, he's like, don't use the fireplace in the den. I haven't fixed it yet. And that made me think of the the swing set, which he <clears> still <throat> hasn't fixed. Um, so questions maybe about, you know, uh, Brody keeping up with his DIY and chores around the house. But um, yeah, he's he's still like concerned about <laughs> about Ellen and the kids and keeping them safe, even though he's not going to be there. Um, and she she sort of interrupts him and is like, what am I going to tell the kids? And, and he says, tell them I'm going fishing. And it's sort of done with a smile and it it sort of calms her because she she seems prior to that like she's getting pretty upset um and it just goes to show how amazing their relationship is it's one of my favorite screen relationships and not just saying that because it's jaws i think they're so relatable i think they're so natural like you can really believe that this is a couple who have been together for a for a long time and and they are lived in and they feel like they have this incredibly natural rapport and that um the sort of like there's a, a moment when they embrace um 
and uh, there's like a, an, an extra hug uh, and I was trying to like one of them sort of pulls the other like a bit closer and I was trying to like gauge like who who it is that sort of like pulls them back for a hug and I think it's Brody that pulls her um, closer to him like one last time because um, she has sort of like moved her hands away um, and it's just some great some great acting from her and a great moment and then we sort of see her see her run off and and show her her emotion then but yeah i uh just any opportunity to praise lorraine gary and, and i will take it yeah and what a run it is <laughs> it has to go down in history for me as one of the greatest <laughs> both hands up 1970s flail running away in, in film history pretty good it's it's um, not just pretty good if you're thinking about the fact that on the way in sarah she was concerned about getting blood on her shoes the way out she mm-hmm. doesn't care there's so much good kind point. of heightened emotion she, <laughs> she's trying to get as far away from that place in my mind mm. as she possibly can or, or you know as far away from having to see her husband i find that really moving that mm. he is in the boat and she can't look at him she just has to mm. turn and go and go back to the kids yeah. and I know you mentioned the kind of the fireplace line and I don't know whether I was being kind of reading slightly too much into this, but I found that a really interesting thing when this film is set in July and this is the Mm. 5th of July and why would she be wanting to light a fire? She surely wouldn't need to be keeping warm. And I was thinking, is this Brody kind of, as a contingency thing not wanting to say i'm i'm so scared i might not be coming back but saying to somebody in the summer don't like the fireplace it just mm. gave me this real kind of pit in my stomach moment when i rewatched it and went oh is he kind of is he is this a contingency thing that he's saying is he trying to like put that put that seed in her mind you know he's tr- he's trying to calm her down but also why would you then say why would you then say that to somebody <laughs> Yeah, I, I think you're actually touching on something that um, I'd never noticed before um, until I watched the scene for this episode, which is there is a, an air of grief to this scene. Like, while, uh, to borrow a phrase from Gen Z, uh, Ellen's fit is a whole vibe, it also <laughs> does... It, it sort of is reminiscent of Mrs. Kittner. Um, you know, coming from the funeral dressed in all black with a veil on, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's more updated, modern, you know, trying to be the Jackie Onassis of Amity, but it's black. It's one of the few times I can remember a character wearing black in the film. Mm. Um, and then it's got a head covering too, which is, you know, like a pretty traditional, like grieving, um, attending a funeral um style which you know we and we talked about on the episode with mrs kittner that she's dressed so traditionally for a funeral that (laughs) it's it's almost funny um and so this is like a it's a it's a more subtle version of that to be sure but i think that there is you know it, it is supposed to carry some some grief with it of like one i think as someone you know who is involved with a partner you when you do that you get to know their fears and the things that scare them and when they have to face those things you get worried for them not that you think anything bad's going to happen but um you know it just sucks to see your partner go through something that scares them and so she knows how scared Brody is of the water but she also has witnessed firsthand 
uh, how dangerous the shark is. Um, and then to see not only how dangerous the shark is, but then to see Quint just being absolutely unhinged when she gets to the dock. Um, what's, how does she describe him? Colorful. Yeah, Which is colorful, the, kind, the like, kindest way you could possibly yeah. describe that behavior. She, yeah, and she straight up says, he scares me. Like, I'm scared yeah. of this man. Which, like, yeah, he's being really fucking scary. Um, <laughs> and... So I think there's there's a bit of like this is this is the funeral like if if something happens at sea the chances of recovering the body are slim to nil and so uh you know I think that that this was supposed to evoke a a bit of a, a especially for audiences who obviously haven't seen the film before um you know who are watching it for the first time in 1975 you don't know what's going to happen to him. And so she, you know, he, she's dressed in this thing that suggests like, Hey, something bad is going to happen to this man. Mm. I had not, I I had not thought of that. Me neither. (laughs) About to say the same thing there that I'd, I'd never really thought about it in that way. And, um, I was, uh, yeah. Uh, today years old when I realized about the, the fireplace thing that actually, yep. That is a weird thing to say <laughs> to someone in July. Um, and he's kind of like laying those plans of like, maybe he's he's not going to come back. And, and that sort of adds even more to that, you know, quite playful line of, of you know, tell him I'm going fishing mm-hmm. that just adds to the emotion of this of this scene. It's like very, this is kind of like their, you know, their relationship in a nutshell. It feels like, you know, the they care about each other deeply they want to make sure the other one is okay we see ellen um kind of mothering brody in this scene but like not in i don't mean that in a bad way and and he is sort of putting these subtle contingencies in place to keep his family safe for you know x amount of time um but yet it sort of still finishes on a on a as as light-hearted a moment as it can um with him sort of saying you know tell tell the kids i'm going fishing which is something i really really appreciate and i think maybe i started to talk about this in last week's episode um i absolutely love the contrast of brody's checklist compared to quinn and hooper's (laughs) checklist so we spoke about the the great contrast that provided in last week's scene with quinn sort of having like a rope and an ice splice and a harpoon and all this sort of stuff and and Hooper has got uh, these gauges and uh, Sarah Michelle Geller and a um or a submachine gun either one and uh, <laughs> <laughs> lethal injections and all of this stuff that that you know he can use on the shark and there's kind of high tech equipment and the cage and the oxygen tanks. Uh, Brody's checklist is so wonderful and it made me so happy and it also got me to do some googling. Um, so she the first thing she men- <laughs> mentions is the Dramamine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I don't know what that is. Uh, and I Googled it and it's a motion sickness yeah. medicine. Um, so that's a lovely touch that, I mean, that is useful. You're going out at sea. The next, the very next scene has a shot that makes me feel very seasick with the moment, uh, the movement of the boat. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a good choice. Um, spare glasses as well as a glasses wearer. Yes. Ditto. Very good idea yep. to have spare glasses. Yep. Um, the zinc oxide for his nose. Um, again, I was like, don't know what that is, but it's that kind of, 
uh, very thick white sunblock that seemed to be around in the 70s and 80s where you would see people with like a visibly white nose yeah. um, to sort of protect them against the, the sun uh, and Blistex, which is a, a, a lip balm chapstick see, type I, of thing. I found that the most kind of moving thing <laughs> on the list. <laughs> the Blistex. I, I found it really sweet. You know, I feel like I constantly walk around trying to tell my partner, your lips are chapped, please sort this out. <laughs> As someone on the receiving end of that from my partner. <laughs> yep. Honestly, you've, you've got to have yeah. uh, Vaseline or chapstick in pretty much every room of the house if you're around yep. me. Absolutely. So you can mm-hmm. sort them out. And it's. I think it goes back to what you were saying, Sarah. Like Their, their relationship is so intimate. And it's... Mm. Um, you've just said it, but for me, they really are one of the most believable couples I've seen on screen. And it's so, mm-hmm. there's nothing melodramatic about it. It's not this big, no. grand, grandiose love story. They're just, they're, they're together. They really are together. But there was, <laughs> there was something about her kind of listing off everything. I was going, who is this reminding me of? And then I realized it's Mrs. Potato Head saying, <laughs> I'm packing your angry eyes, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> and then I thought, That's... has this scene inspired that? You can't prove me wrong. I that's canon. Yeah, that's canon. <laughs> yes, Mrs. Brody Potato Head. Um, I think that yeah. Also, uh, the Dramamine thing, uh, it works, but if he really took his Dramamine, he would be a very sleepy boy right now. Um, because that is my experience with someone who has to take Dramamine when we travel. Uh, it is, it is, it basically makes you drunk. Um, well, in and... that case, maybe he would be absolutely fine. Yeah. Because <laughs> up to this point, I, I've actually wrote down, this is the first time he's been on a boat sober. Yeah. Oh. Maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. The, the, mm-hmm. the, Kristen has to take it when we travel by plane. And, uh, it's always one, did you take your Dramamine? And two, did you remember your Dramamine? And three, okay, you've taken your Dramamine in about 20 minutes. I have to babysit for about four hours. <laughs> yeah, don't uh, don't Dramamine and uh, drive, kids. <laughs> no, do not. Do not do that. <laughs> do not do that. But uh, the other thing, all one shot, all one all one take um, from when mm-hmm. they arrive to when they when they walk across the 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 pier um and then hug and then alan runs off off screen um that's all one shot yeah i sneaky i just to say as well the i love that this has been done in profile in the one Mm. shot which Mm. i guess is kind of it's necessary that they do that so you see both of them but it's so it feels so intimate doing it that Mm way and just looking at them gazing into each other's eyes and there's fantastic I don't know what I'm going to call it. Eye acting going on here. Yeah. I, I often find this interesting watching people, whether they're, you know, staring or are they doing kind of more natural, like looking around at each other's faces. And it just, it's very, they're very close to each other. They're standing very close. Mm-hmm. But doing beautiful eye acting. And it reminded me of um, standing in profile of the <laughs> Mamma Mia video for ABBA. That kind of really nice profile <laughs> shot. And I find myself going, God, they both do have really beautiful profiles. They're a very beautiful couple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Strong. 
Mm-hmm. Very strong. And <laughs> going back to the costuming, though, it's very nice kind of moment of cohesion for them because they're also both in very similar color palettes. Yeah. And you mm-hmm. just go, oh, yeah, they're, they're together. Although he does slightly, I love Quint's line when he gets on the boat and he's like, oh, not, I can't, can't remember, but he's basically like, um, yeah, glad to see that you've got your your, your, rubbers. your rubbers on. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> Quint is having the time of his life. Uh, he sure is. <laughs> he is so excited to be going out to sea and he is so excited to be bossing these two dipshits around and (laughs) he is i mean giddy like a schoolgirl about it like he's so excited (laughs) it's like it's like he's going to disneyland (laughs) yep yeah the sea is quince disneyland for sure (laughs) i mean i definitely he's i one of my notes that i wrote down was um oh he loves yelling because <laughs> I realize up he until does. this point he's kind of been in contained situations and you know yeah. we've seen him in the crowds and he's sort of doing this kind of quite what I think is that kind of macho quite but still quite reserved stuff mm-hmm. and then you see him here mm-hmm. and it's like this is where I am at home yeah. and I'm gonna mm-hmm. show you and I'm gonna yell and I'm gonna <laughs> shout I mean I cracked up when he was like, I'm going to throw your ass out the little window on the side. <laughs> getting the jab, yeah. getting the jabs in. I And I know exactly why. Like, if you're Ellen and you're watching this, you're thinking, who, who is my husband going out with on this boat? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he is crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because quintessential, quintessential Quint. Because by this point, <laughs> what I really like is obviously Quint. Quint's sidekick. D- does he have a name? No. But he has a backstory uh, in mm. a very erotic fan fiction that we stumbled upon. <laughs> That's so. true. <laughs> That's true. But who is? Is is he in, uh, in that canon? Uh, the from the fanfic that we. I can't remember how long ago that was that we talked about that, but he ends up with like um, Ben Gardner's first mate, right? Yeah. And they just they just have a happy life together, living on the island. Yep. So oh, no, yeah. they move Good away times. and start a pottery business, and then <laughs> Quinn's first mate dies because he falls in the kiln. Oh no! <laughs> I don't remember it being so tragic. <laughs> I'm picturing like uh, Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze and Ghost um, <laughs> type of vibes, um, yeah. but then the the fiery kiln death kind of ruined it for me. <laughs> I mean, I guess that would be closer to Ghost at a certain point. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Quint in this scene. So in my notes, um, I wrote: Is Quint drunk or is he just excited? <laughs> and I think it's both. Yes. The answer um, is yes. He has <laughs> also taken is, his Dramamine. Yes. Oh, he's taken he's taken more than some Dramamine, I yeah. feel. Um it's the it's the sailing cliches that get me. I mean, <laughs> he actually says yo ho and a bottle of rum. You're Jack Sparrowing about the place. Uh assessment right at the top, MJ, is very accurate. Um and sort of like what did you say, like up periscope and, and all the rest of it. He is like 
putting out every cliche, uh, reminding them that the front bow, back stern as well, kind of going through it in layman's terms. And he is very... Uh, this is this is Quint Town, uh, and you are all just you know, <laughs> you're yeah. all just this is Quint's world. I mean, and you're MJ, just living in I it. know earlier you said that you thought that he was playing up particularly because Ellen was around, but mm. even at the start of this scene, you can hear him hollering in the background. <laughs> he, I just think he kind of ca- he's just going for it. I really yeah. like the idea that they basically just put Robert Shaw in a booth and let him go for several hours it's what it seems like happens yeah because <laughs> it's just, give him some whiskey <laughs> the audio is so good it's just really delivered really well i mean everybody else just continuing their business and trying to get the boat packed up at the same time really makes me laugh they're just yeah. trying to do their i'm not going to say jobs but <laughs> spelled j-a-w-b-s um <laughs> Wait, <laughs> jobs. <laughs> That's stupid. That's very stupid. <laughs> he, says, he says, up periscope, rig for depth charge, standby fire drill, damage control. I mean, like, he's it... just saying words. Like, none of that's related to each other at all. Yeah, I didn't actually do uh, any research into if anything he said is the correct lingo. No, shouldn't have to. <laughs> It's just wild. I mean, I, I also. He says nor'easter coming. Bad news for sailors. It's clear as a bell out there. Like it's the skies are so clear. Oh, see, I I love that line. I love that line, and it, and I know it comes in combo with the shot through the jaws, mm-hmm. but it's it's the best foreshadowing because a storm is coming. Just it's just mm-hmm. not a nor'easter, which I had to look up. A storm what... in the shape of a killer shark. I had to look up what that oh, was yeah. today. <laughs> I was going. Well, why is he talking about Easter? There's a whole. <laughs> Honestly, I think when you're inviting people onto this, you should maybe give them a kind of like a dictionary of uh... <laughs> seafaring terms <laughs> to go along with it. Yeah, a quintionary. Yeah, he. So I've never noticed that uh, yo ho ho and a bottle of rum until the other day you mentioned it. Um, I think it was on the previous episode or the episode before, yeah. and I was like, "Does he really freaking say that?" And he re- he really says that. Sure does. <laughs> I mean, what's what's so great about that is that that's not a real pirate song. That was made yeah. up for Treasure Island, and so I love yeah. that they've plucked. That that kind of what's the most stereotypical thing that I can say to to really <laughs> rattle Brody? Who is he, yeah. he is the person who is this is all being aimed at, which is so mean, really. You know, I can't imagine if somebody who we know is incredibly seasick, you know, hates has a fear of drowning. If they were coming onto a boat very bravely, in my mind, I would not be heckling them. <laughs> As we went out to sea to fight a giant shark. <laughs> not to not to defend Quint at all, but I think he's dishing it out pretty equally because he's like he's like calling Hooper's buddies women. Yes, um, he, and 
he's like before, he's just he's just dishing it out wherever he can dish it out actually like he says like if you see a shark hooper swallow like what <laughs> what does that even mean it doesn't have to mean anything <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, like and then he's yeah he's giving Brody shit about wearing rubbers and he's got this like dirty limerick about this woman's virginity that he says to Ellen and he's saying that these guys aren't as good as their grandmas were at loading the boat like they're just putting <laughs> stuff on a boat yeah I so it wasn't until watching it today that I was like oh that that comment is aimed at Hooper's pals and I only Mm realised that because of what we were saying about them last week and that they're these sort of like again like very 1970s like hippie kind of looking dudes with with long hair and and you know that it that is why Quint is saying that because I have always read it as so the line Quint says is uh goddamn women today they can't handle nothing young girls ain't quite as smart like their grandmothers were and I always thought that was aimed at ellen and i'm like that's mean she's like she's nothing to she's nothing to do with this really she's not going out with you she has literally just turned up to say goodbye to her husband but he he kind of he it's hard to tell because he's not in focus but he does look over at ellen like when he makes those comments as well so i think it's easy to read it that way that way as well um but what made me realize that he's talking about uh, Brody's, uh, not Brody, Hooper's pals, is um, at the end, or, uh, when you get that shot of like Brody looking back at the shore, there is one of Hooper's mates like still on the shore, sort of seeing them off. And uh, Quint says, Oh, the Mrs. Chief. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, is he like making a kind of a joke that, that, that you know, uh, long haired pal of Hooper's is, is, is like. Brody's wife because he's got long hair, long blonde hair or something, and I was like, "Oh, oh, Quint." Uh, exactly we... the same though, Sarah. I had to go back and pause <laughs> it. And go, wait, Ellen's not in this shot. Am I missing her? Where is she? Yeah, has she come back to kind of wave him off? Oh no, it's one of Hooper's <laughs> pals. Yeah, and then Quint says, uh, "It's everything." I mean, this is <laughs> the least I like Quint yeah. in this scene, even though. You can't help but kind of chuckle at the things he says because they are so outlandish and so crass and so misogynistic. Um, but after he makes that remark about like, oh, the missus, he's like, if they don't love you going out, they'll love you coming in. And he cackles to himself as well. Um, and I'm... <laughs> I had I had the subtitles on for one of my rewatches and it's my absolute yeah. favourite yeah. subtitle that I saw in the film. And it just says, um, like... Man- manic cackling or something like that. <laughs> yes. Uh, Maniacal laughter. I... Oh, there we go. Laughs manically. <laughs> <laughs> I can't defend the line, but holy crap, I love it. It's so like, it's such, it's like so, it's so perfectly that character though, I think. Like, mm. it's so like, it's so like crass and like dirty. It's this huge double entendre, like, um, and just like how pleased he is with himself after he says it is so. It's so great. Like, like I said, I can't defend it. Like Quint's a piece of crap in this scene, but <laughs> he's so funny in it too. Like he, mm-hmm. he just he's just going for it so hard, and it's so like it's hard not to be also entertained by it as well. I think. Yeah. I 
I also love as they're going out. Um, just what I felt was the most jarring piece of music in the entire film. So Even good. more jarring <laughs> than the classic theme. I was like, why is this upbeat <laughs> music playing? <laughs> when something horrible is clearly about to happen. It's just so strange. Yeah. It's the, did you, I think you refer to it as like the high seas adventure <laughs> music, MJ. Yeah. And from, I watched the scene um, this morning because uh, I needed to go out after that. So I did all my prep like early this morning. And then I had that piece of music um, stuck in my head. So I was trying to sing it. But when I was singing it to Martin, he thought I was singing that, you know, in that Simpsons episode where like Santa's little helper like goes off on like a little adventure uh-huh. by himself. And that piece of music, I can't remember the piece of music, but it is a very well-known piece of music. It has like a similar sound to it. And Martin thought I was <laughs> Martin thought I was singing that. And I was like, oh no, I was singing that like really jaunty piece of music from Jaws, like when they're going out to sea. And he was like, doesn't sound like Jaws. And I was like, Do you know what? That's a very good point. <laughs> so um, that's completely intentional, obviously, by John Williams. It's not like he wasn't like, hey, mm-hmm. what the hell? <laughs> How do I do this? Um, he had some drama, but... <laughs> mean. He didn't yeah. know what he was doing. <laughs> Yeah, Uh, but he very much like it was a concerted effort between um, Spielberg and uh, John Williams to make the 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 music in the back half of the film feel more like a 1930s or even silent era like pirate movie um, score rather than a straight up horror movie score, because there's actually more tension in that. that. I mean, like you said, there's the juxtaposition of like, wait, something terrible is about to happen why are we so excited about it and i think it underscores one quince excitement and uh two it just it does kind of prepare you of like oh this next half's gonna be kind of fun and not that it's not fun but it also gets really scary and dicey for Mm -hmm. these characters and it kind of you know if the music doesn't give you any hints that that's about to happen so it was very like intentional on on the the part of Spielberg and John Williams to kind of almost give you a false sense of security if you don't know what's coming. Where it's like, oh, it's like, you know, this is going to be like an Errol Flynn, Douglas Fairbanks like adventure pirate type thing. Especially yeah. with mm-hmm. you know Quint saying yo ho ho and a bottle of rum, fifteen <laughs> on a dead man's chest. <laughs> I yeah, and I love the shot that it plays over as well though with mm. Brody lingering just on that kind of aerial shot seeing him just staring back at the land <laughs> please <Yep. laughs> going, oh what have i done <laughs> with yeah, Quinn you, going on in the background do you think he's missing ellen or the land more in this scene <laughs> oh, a bit of column a bit of column b yeah <laughs> <He's> just... yeah <laughs> but i think i mean before we get to the 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 shot i think uh which we do need to spend a bit of time talking about because it yeah. is so well known uh and is is one of the sort of most famous shots in jaws and one that people talk about a lot i did you guys do any googling around or was it just me <laughs> that wanted to find this out but the um that limerick that um quint says about mm. here lies the body of mary lee did you guys look into that at all cuz i did no. but uh okay well again i don't know how much i trust the internet but i'm popping a a reddit thing uh in our discord chat um so apparently i was reading about this um the actual limerick that that quint says uh or sort of poem 
was ad-libbed by by Robert Shaw. And I think, uh, again, you read this on the internet and I'm like, I don't know how true this is. But Spielberg was like, oh, who who wrote that? Because we'll have to credit them or, or you know, tie, tidy up the paperwork in case we've, you know, quoted uh, a well-known thing. And apparently Robert Shaw was just like, I just saw it on a tombstone and I thought it was funny. Um, so what is written on the this tombstone is not quite the same, but um, it says, uh, in loving memory, here lies the form of Mary Charlotte, born a virgin, died a harlot. For 10 long years, she kept her virginity, which is almost a record in this vicinity. Oh, that's So horrific. it's pretty close. <laughs> pretty close. Um, but if, that, if all of that is true, um, I really enjoy that. I, I love that that was, if it was ad-libbed or if it was, you know, something that, that Robert Shaw had in mind that he he wanted to say and and just sort of like put his own uh, own little spin on it, but I, I mean that image doesn't look photoshopped, so I don't I I don't know. This is this is uh, <laughs> me just not trusting things written on the internet these days. But yeah, if that is all true, then I'm a I'm a big fan of that as a reference. Uh, yeah, I I can I can see that. So there's actually a famous um, headstone for. And it's actually in the movie Tombstone because the real, the real Tombstone, the real headstone I'm about to talk about is in the city of Tombstone, Arizona, where obviously the film Tombstone takes place. But it's uh, it's for a guy named Lester Moore, and uh, the 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 headstone reads: "Here lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a 44, no less, no more," and uh, which is. An A plus tombstone, I yep. think. Like, <laughs> um, also, they spelled no less N O L E S because he was less. Um, so, uh, but that's like a, a big. Uh, I don't know how big of a tourist thing it is, but you can go. You can go visit that that tombstone um, in Tombstone, Arizona, and it's it's in the Boot Hill graveyard. Which there's a shot of it. There's an establishing shot of that in. Um, the film but it, it's 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 real so i can only imagine that the you know the uh uh the 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 mary tombstone is real as well because apparently mm. it was a thing to put like weird limericks on on <laughs> we should bring that back they don't have to be dirty necessarily yeah. the less the less more one isn't but uh i'd like to i'd like a jaunty tombstone <laughs> Yeah, normalize limericks on uh, tombstones, <laughs> tombstones again. We'll start this campaign. <laughs> it is a real shame that I think there are no other limericks in the <laughs> in the rest of the film. Yeah, mm-hmm. there are some shanties. Mm-hmm. The shanties go on and on, but this. <laughs> yeah. It also yeah. was just oh. it was just one of these moments that made me um go oh yeah he he is not a kind of man that many women would want to be around <laughs> yeah and i i know mm-hmm. that you know later way later on he mentions his third wife divorcing his third wife which i just don't think i don't know whether that is a fabrication because i'm telling you i don't think anybody could have stood time around somebody if they were just <laughs> constantly uttering this horrible <laughs> Yeah, it's it's real checkmate incels if uh, Quint can be married three times. <laughs> I mean, he. Yeah. I do think there's something. He's got a sparkle in his eye. He's a good-looking man. You've got to give him that. But would That's you be true. with somebody just coming up with limericks and spouting sea shanties one after the other? Couldn't mm. do it. <laughs> 
it's not for me. <laughs> yeah, that. All right, shall we? Okay, let's. I think we should get to to the shot, as the I have shot. as I have called it in in my notes. Um, and I think it was probably on the episode that we had Jack on for as our only actual shark scientist that we we have had uh, on. I think it probably came up in that episode. If it was a different one, I apologize. But where we sort of realized um, for the first time the significance of the boat being called the Orca um, Mm. in that uh, Orcas are the only natural predator of of the Great White as... uh, as the internet has confirmed for me today with many stories of uh, very graphic pictures of uh, sharks that have been like torn apart by orcas um so the the naming of that boat is is significant and it is quint's boat as we know so quint considering himself i guess or at least his boat uh, as kind of the apex predator of the of the ocean is very very significant I think, and there's uh, a lot more we can get into with that, I think, as the film goes on. But this shot is so good. And I, oh, every, I just, every time I feel like when I look at this shot, I want to pause it and just stare at it for ages because it's so good. Like the framing of it is perfect. The movement of the camera is perfect as well, where we see the the orca the boat kind of going out to sea but it is shot through the the jaws that are hanging up in quint's cabin uh and this is what most people see as kind of like the the halfway point of the film even though it isn't in in time sense uh because the film is 124 minutes long and we're you know hour 12 into it by this point so um it's it's not quite the the exact time halfway point but when i went to see this at the at the um royal albert hall with the live orchestra the the shot of the boat going through the jaws um is where it kind of like cut off for the for the interval the halfway point um of the film so yeah from from this point on we are we are out at sea and seeing the boat in the jaws of the shark, the jaws that we see hanging up in in Quint Shack, I think is so significant and so great. Uh, it's just one of those really memorable, perfectly timed, perfectly shot uh, scenes in a film. Yep, totally agree. I remember watching this for the first time, getting goosebumps when I mm-hmm. saw this shot. It's so beautifully done, and I think. Yeah, when you think Jaws, this is one of the shots. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What I what's weird watching it, I was trying to I kind of thought about what the shot was when I knew this was going to be my timestamp. And in my mind, the boat was always in the center of the shot in the center of the jaws. But it isn't. Mm. But you're right, Sarah, it goes so beautifully. You just watch that boat kind of almost absent mindedly just sort of drift into the into uh, into the shot like it's mm-hmm. just they're just completely unaware yeah it, perfection mm-hmm. chef's kiss <laughs> yeah uh it's it's funny because i feel like in the hands of almost anyone else it would be super on the nose and annoying Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's something about it. I don't know if it's the music. I don't know if it's just on the heels of this sort of kind of not intense moment, but kind of intense moment with Brody and Ellen where it's like, oh, yeah, this is 
this is getting real. Like this is, you know, there's, there's real stakes to this now. Um, and you know, the best way to illustrate that is sort of watching them very literally going into the belly of the beast, um, through these, you know, these, these jaw, these jaw bones on the, on the window. Um, and, uh, I love how kind of off center it is too. I think maybe that's what avoids it from being on the nose is like, they're not centered in the frame and you're not centered through, through the, 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 the jaw bones. Like it's, it's kind of off center. It's kind of like, it's just the top half that you really see. Um, and the orc is kind of on the right side and kind of cutting diagonally across the shot. It's really interesting to look at. Like, you know, I, I feel like if you Wes Anderson did, right? Like, you know, <laughs> and just like centered everything, yeah. you would be like, okay, I, I fucking get it. Like, I'm not an idiot, <laughs> you know? But but it's, it's really dynamic to look at. Like, there's a lot. And then you got the bars of the window separating it into like three distinct mm-hmm. areas. Like, it's just a really, really well-composed shot. And I think... Um, that helps it a lot from not being like, okay, yep, I'm watching the movie. There's a shark. Like, yeah, I mean, again, mm. this might be me totally overanalyzing. Um, it's what we do. But the <laughs> the set of jaws that they use, yes, there are teeth missing on various mm. other bits, but in that center mm. bit, there's a really obvious one missing at the top, and it just immediately mm. made me think of the the tooth that was found by Hooper earlier. almost this idea of yeah this is like the scale of it yeah this is what you're going up against this could be a shark Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's a really really good point actually and i something you said earlier um cordelia that i had not really thought about the significance of as well is the the and, and mj you said this as well the fact that it's not kind of like dead center and the movement of of the the orca sort of coming in is quite subtle. It is just sort of like drifting uh, calmly into shot, and then you've got this sort of really menacing framing of these shark jaws in the window. It's like, yeah, they have absolutely no idea the scale of what is waiting for them out there, um, and the fact that sort of the first time we we properly see the shark is when it springs up on on Brody. Uh, in one of the sort of other very very memorable shots of the film i think is is sort of hinted at here like they it it is gonna be something that that shocks them they are surprised by the size of the shark when they're confronted with him they're surprised um by how intelligent the shark seems as well perhaps compared to other ones that, that quint has dealt with so the fact that it is slightly off-centered that music again is very sort of like jaunty and is is not the sort of menacing music you would expect to be playing with that kind of shot i think stops it from feeling uh tacky because i i i do agree i think that shot in another film or in the hands of a of a different director um you would be like yeah we get it like they're in the jaws (laughs) of the shark like all right but this is one of those kind of perfect examples of of show don't tell and of visual storytelling in a film it's it is telling us exactly what we need to know i mean you you the obvious thing the boat they're going on the orca is in the jaws of the shark they are going into the belly of the beast as you said mj um but the the way it is filmed and the the movement of the boat and the movement of the camera and everything as well is adding so many extra layers 
into it that you're like this isn't just going to be a kind of cut and dry simple them squaring off against the shark sort of thing this is going to be a real battle battle of wits and and strength and they have absolutely no idea what they're up against and all of that is in this one shot i mean come on what a film <laughs> <laughs> this spielberg guys he's got he's got potential. pretty good <laughs> yeah. knows the thing or pretty two good director knows the thing or two Mm-hmm. I was going to say something I noticed in this shot, which I have never <laughs> noticed before, <laughs> is um, at first I was really confused. So if you, when the shot kind of is first there, it, I thought, is there a man standing outside the window? Because it looks like there's the top of someone's head in the shark's jaws, just in one of the lower bits of the window. And then I paused it and then I played it and I think it might be a pigeon. <laughs> is this where the, your note that just says pigeon, pigeon question mark? yeah and it's fantastic it, you can see its feathers rustling ruffling yeah and then when they do the shot outside i was trying to locate the window and i think it's there and then i was thinking does quint have a little pigeon friend <laughs> that's watching him go out to sea oh maybe and i can't believe maybe. how many times i've seen that seen the film now and seen that shot and i never noticed tiny little pitch <laughs> yep i i think it's it's something it's it's definitely feathers rustling in the wind might mm, be a sea a seabird of some kind i don't yep. know quince little little feathery pal so you need to add that him off. quince gang sidekick bloodhound <laughs> pigeon pigeon <laughs> <laughs> the trifecta yeah, yep. he's got a whole crew. <laughs> name squad, squad name a more <laughs> name squad a more guns. iconic trio. It's not Brody, <laughs> Hooper, and Quinn. Yeah, it's first mate, Pooch, Pigeon. Oh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> I mean, I'd watch a movie of them hanging out. That's yeah. my fan fiction that I'm inspired to write. That's what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just them waiting for we... Quinn to come back. Oh no, oh. that ends so tragically. Oh no. <laughs> I was going to say, I think we need to give, uh, for alliterative purposes, I think we need to give Quint's first mate a name that begins with P. Sure. So we could have like Peter Pooch and Pigeon or something. Yeah. like Because that just makes me happy. It's my favourite folk so. trio. <laughs> I love their work. They're playing at Sharkstock. Yeah. <laughs> 25. <laughs> Yep. Um, I was going to say, a thing I learned this week, guys named Steven, pretty good filmmakers, because I watched the new Steven Soderbergh, and I was like, hey, that guy knows a thing or two about making movies, too. <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good yep. uh, Pretty good movie. Yep. Stevens, <laughs> Stevens are good at making movies. Who, who knows? <laughs> Immediately um, change his name to Something Steven. <laughs> I did look up about this scene, though, uh, is shout out to the the set team on this because quince shack doesn't exist in real life mm-hmm. they built it astounding yeah an impressive work as well like we spoke about the the set dressing um in that scene of sort of like the well the insane lewd images that quint has on, on his wall <laughs> which we very much enjoyed um and the sort of various like pots and pans and mad scientist vibe we got from from the things going on in his shack, but what we see Ellen and Brody walking through, I guess, is the the lower part, the sort of the bit that is like directly on the 
on the docks that is also part of of quint's cabin it feels like from the the sort of smoke and things bubbling and tools on the wall and just the sort of general state of disrepair it's in makes you feel like yeah they're definitely still in uh in in quint's uh quint's quarters yeah. here this is something i did notice and i this was a really nice callback i thought earlier in the film he says when he would go and get the shark he'd bring it back nose tail and everything in between and when mm-hmm. Ellen and Brody walk past or walk through initially, there's a shark that's been cut up and it's been cut up, head, the tail's cut off, and then there's everything in between. Oh. I thought that's really what? lovely because it's saying this is, to me, this is a man of his word. Yeah. He will get you the he head knows, tail He the knows what thing. he's talking yeah. about. <laughs> and what is in those drums with boiling smoke? coming out of them though because i was going i paused that so many times that initial shot going i actually can't work it out what it is sticking out shark stock Mm. (laughs) delicious delicious little shark stock he's got brewing uh brewing in one of those pots what's the the from uh arrested development baby you got a stew going (laughs) yes talking about putting the bones in there is that carl weathers who says that I am not sure. It's uh, it's it's in Arrested Development, and uh, yeah, here we go. Um, he's, I think, David Cross. What's Tobias is like gonna throw away a chicken bone or a rib bone, and Carl Weathers goes, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! There's still plenty of meat on that bone. Now, do you take this home, throw it in a pot, add some broth, a potato, baby? You got a stew going." <laughs> Yeah, this is this is his dinner for when he gets back. Yeah. Oh, oh no. Back. Oh, oh no. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't get dinner when he gets back, whether he made it or whether Brody treated him to it. Oh. Oh. But Peter Pigeon and the Pooch will eat like kings. So. Yes. <laughs> like king sharks. We can, be ha- <laughs> <laughs> we can be. We can be happy about that. Um. Okay. <laughs> Did you guys have anything? else anything else in your notes or anything else that you wanted to mention in this scene i feel there's so much in this scene i feel that we've uh there's so much more we could get into but yeah if you had anything else that you wanted to to mention something i did notice about that really great you know tell them i've gone fishing line with ellen Mm -hmm. saying to him you know what what do i tell the boys that's so sad to me that they this has all had to come together so quickly they didn't even have time to say goodbye to his kids. Mm. You know, there's so mm-hmm. much urgency to this and it's putting so much on the line. But I think, you know, all of those events that have led up to this and all of those deaths, it's letting them know, you know, you have to go now. And I love mm. that line for the urgency of it. And it's so lovely that it makes her laugh. But <laughs> there is still that kind of sadness that what if he never sees his and this is another, you know, great Spielberg, great kids. What if he, mm. <laughs> what if he never sees them again? Mm. Yeah, the, the thing I noticed is I just love the sound design of when Ellen and Brody are walking through uh, there and there is that, like, the bubbling stuff. Yeah. Like, it almost feels like they're going into, into, like, the witch's lair in Macbeth or something. Like, it just, like, yeah. it feels like double, double toil and trouble is happening under <laughs> Quint's track. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't be surprised. 
Yeah, I I think the only thing that I have got in my notes that I didn't mention, uh, we spoke about the See You Got Your Rubbers line uh, <laughs> that Quint says to Brody. And I, for the longest time, thought that uh, Quint was referring to condoms because yeah. uh, he, rubbers is the, <laughs> the term used for condoms. And I was like, but why does he say that? Like, that's a weird thing to say. But then I realized it's because um, Brody is wearing a, might I add, very practical yes. uh, compared yeah. to the Canadian tuxedo that Hooper yes. is wearing. <laughs> Uh, very practical waterproof outfit, um, right down to the shoes, I think, because we sort of see a close up of Brody's shoes in a in a later scene. And he's got those sort of like boat shoe type of things that are, are very waterproof. And he's wearing his sort of waterproof uh, jacket and trousers in this scene, I believe. So that I think it is another one of those like double entendre things where... Um, it could be it could be both or or neither or one or the other. Uh, so Quint obviously thinks that is a very very funny joke as well because he laughs uh, cackles I should say maniacally to himself mm. once again when he makes that joke. So, but yeah, it was only um, I think when we were talking about maybe it was in last week's episode when we were talking about the the costuming and stuff and I was just like oh yeah like the. Uh, out of all of them, Brody is wearing the most practical outfit. He's wearing the sort of the, the rubber waterproof outfit. <laughs> and I was like, I, yeah, had never sort of put two and two together before and gone like, oh, that's what Quint is uh, is referring to. He's not talking about a big old bag full of condoms. But it's, an, it's another <laughs> one of Quint's getting a jibe in about somebody, you know, all the gear, no idea. It's just yeah. very opposite to the way that he does it with Hooper. So Brody, mm. it's the fact that, you know, he's there in his little sou'wester looking might i say very adorable but then with hooper it was yeah you can have all of this but you don't know how to kill a shark you mm. can find them you can track them you can do all you want scientifically but in the end i'm the one who is comfortable here this is my this is my <laughs> environment mm. mm-hmm. yes the rubbers thing okay so i thought you were going to be like he's not talking about condoms in this and i was that was about to blow my tiny mind um, <laughs> yeah i've because i've heard um that that sort of uh the the what he's wearing suit stuff i've heard that referred to as like rubbers before as mm. that kind of double entendre um so when you said that i was like is it is there a triple meaning behind this <laughs> No, just the just the double of the okay. uh, of the entendres. <laughs> okay, good. Not the rare triple entendre. No, um, the elusive. Cool. I think that will do it for this episode. It is, uh, yeah, it is a lengthy one this year or this year this week. <laughs> We've um, been here for a year. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, Cordelia, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was an absolute blast. I have had so much fun. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Continue to get my uh, magnifying glass out on this film because (laughs) you hit pause and there was a lot (laughs) that you can discover. Mm -hmm. Yes, there is. There's, yeah. I think I mentioned that last week. We're like, every week, I'm like, oh, there is an hour in here because there's that much going on that is just kind of implicit to it. But do you have anything that you want to plug? 
absolutely nothing other than to say that if you're listening to this and you're a massive Jaws fan and you haven't already done so just tell everyone you know to watch Jaws <laughs> it's so good it's the movie that I have in my back pocket that if someone is going I don't know what to watch and I say well have you seen this and they say no I go well prepare for your life to be changed and before you know it you'll be on one of your friends podcasts <laughs> talking about roughly a minute and 45 seconds of a film <laughs> <laughs> for an hour dream but, big <laughs> but yeah just watch it it's it's a masterpiece of filmmaking and i feel very grateful that i had someone in my life who pushed me into watching it so thank you sarah that's it from me oh <laughs> stop <laughs> uh sarah do you have anything to plug um i do i think um so i'm not sure uh if it will be out uh when this episode goes out but the sort of finale wrap-up episode um of my disney classic series that i'm doing for Jumpcast, um one or both of those parts uh to that finale episode should be out um i think if not now then very very soon so yeah go and check that out uh we had like a three-hour discussion. I think I mentioned this on last week's episode, like uh, a three-hour chat kind of wrapping up our epic uh, 59 film journey. Um, I shouldn't be surprised really that it was as long as it was, but even so, we were shocked when it ran for three hours. So uh, they're putting it out in two parts, uh, two digestible chunks of uh, 90 minutes or so each. Um, so definitely go and check that out. But I think that's, uh, yeah, that's that's about it from me. Cool. Uh, for me, Real Perspective, R-E-E-L Perspective, which has a new logo. Um, by the time you're listening to this, we should have the Suicide Squad episode up, which also means the new logo is up, um, which was is very cool. Um, we were going to record it at the time of this recording last night, but then I got called into work at a venue that was 45 minutes away from my house. So, um, yeah, we haven't recorded it yet, but it should be out by the time this is out. I think it's maybe coming out the same day. Um, if all goes according to plan. So check that out. Um, once again, wherever your fine podcasts are purveyed. Um, if you want to uh, talk to us on social media, you can talk to the show directly. It's still just us. The show is intention. Um, but uh, <laughs> you can find that at Jaws for a Minute on Twitter. Um, if you'd like to email the show, you can email us at Jaws for a Minute at gmail.com. Once again, still just us. Um, <laughs> If you want to follow Sarah on Twitter, it's at Sarah Buttery, S-A-R-A-H-B-U-D-D-E-R-Y. I am at MJSmith891 on Twitter. Um, if you would like to follow our graphic designer who designed our logo and uh, an amazing piece of merch uh, featuring our catchphrase at the end of the show, um, you can follow him, uh, Alex, at HexShadow on Twitter. Um, and as far as buying that logo on things, there is a link in our Twitter bio to uh, both a Public and a Redbubble, and that will give you all the info you need to buy our logos, plural, on um, a, a myriad of objects. So uh, if, if you want coasters that say it's Jaws O'Clock somewhere, you should, you should <laughs> buy them because that's a perfect marriage of uh, logo and uh, product. Um, and uh, you can also buy our theme song, which is like a two-minute song about the tiger shark guy, um, which was written and performed by my wife, Kristen. Uh, you can get to her Bandcamp page through her Instagram. So she is at Kristen Falls Music on Instagram. She just followed the trend and covered a Bo Burnham song over there. So um, if you like that, go do that. And her link in the bio gets us 
gets to her band camp where you can purchase a song for, I think, 99 cents. Um, and it is a banger. Uh, <laughs> if you want to support the show, just kind of out of the kindness of your heart, you can buy us a coffee on our coffee page. Uh, it is a, a link in our bio as well. And um, we are running a contest for that. So uh, if we have a certain donation threshold, um, that we are trying to hit and once we get to that amount of donors we are on a new contest and if you've already donated in the past you're already entered unless you won the previous round so um yeah uh donate if you can we appreciate every donation we would also uh we also have did we have a donation we did i am so glad <laughs> because i forgot to put it in the notes okay um i will mention them we had two so a big thank you to jeremy calcara and Lindsay bugles for their donations uh they get a shout oh. out uh when they get a donation so thank you to those guys yep also i think you're the first person who's pronounced jeremy's name right uh on the first try oh nice well well done me yep <laughs> he's been he's been on my, my other podcast and i've screwed it up both times he's been <laughs> The easiest way to support the show is to give us a rate, a review, uh, subscribe on your podcatcher of choice, and to share the the, the show. Um, we did some math this morning, and we're almost at 10,000 plays um, across our 40, well, 46 episodes now. Um, so let's let's get it to 10K, right? Like journey, hashtag LJFam journey to 10K. Let's, let's make it happen. <laughs> um, so the only way that'll happen is if you guys share it. Um, with your friends and followers um, because uh, you want to support us and get us to 10K. And we appreciate the support. We always do. Um, thank you so much for listening. And until next week, it is Jaws O'Clock Somewhere.